back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, and I have the pleasure of being joined by a guest host, a Red Sox beat writer for MassLive.com, Christopher Smith. How are you doing today, Chris? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. So, um, biggest news of the week is definitely Tom Warner, chairman of the Red Sox, saying, quote, it's very unlikely that the Red Sox will re-sign Craig Kimbrell. Um, if you had to give me a percentage number of how likely you think it is that the Red Sox re-sign Craig Kimbrell, what would you put it at? Yeah, i put it at about 2 or 3%. I mean, you know, you're looking at it, the Red Sox have, have continuously said that they will not uh, re-sign Craig Kimbrell. Uh, you know, I mean, they basically have not, they've said that they're not going to use a big expenditure at the closer position. Dombrowski said that throughout the offseason. You know, when you, when you saw last year that they waited out J.D. Martinez's market, they did offer him a contract at the beginning of, you know, at the beginning towards the winter meetings, they offered him a contract and then they waited it out. They haven't, you know, had any real interest in Craig Kimball. They haven't offered him a contract. I just don't see a market here. The Red Sox want to stay under the $246 million luxury tax. They're under it now at 238, 239. So, you know, they don't want to go over that because if you go over that, you know, you, your 2020 draft, uh, 2020 draft pick would be moved back 10 slots, just right. like it, you know, but just like it's going to be moved back in 2019 because you went over it in 2018. So, um, you know, and you also get the highest tax penalty. So, so Dave is, uh, Dave Dombrowski has continuously said that, you know, they won't use a big expenditure. And uh, I'm starting to believe that that's the case. I, I you know, in January, I, I maybe would have said about 50 or 60% that they would have re-signed him. But at this point, I just don't think it's happening. I think that they're going to go with either, uh, you know, Ryan Brazier or um, Matt Burns. Right, yeah, I agree. I think it's, I also think it's very unlikely that they do end up signing him just because um, they don't really have the salary room, like you said, to get him back. Um, and another reason, actually, why I think it doesn't make sense for the Red Sox to sign him is Durbin Feltman, the prospect um, who was just drafted in the recent draft. He's the fu- he's the future closer. So even if we don't have a set closer um, right now for the time being, he's the closer that we hopefully will have in the future in that role. Do you think there's a chance he actually gets called up this season to pitch in the big leagues? Yeah, I definitely think so. Actually, I watched him throw a bullpen today. Uh, here at Fort Myers, and I asked Alex Cora, you know, a couple questions about him today. Actually, Lou Merloni asked uh, one question, I asked the other. They they didn't consider him for big league camp. I actually thought that they would they would invite him as a non roster invitee uh, to big league camp, and it's actually interesting. Cora just said, you know, they they gave no thought to it. They wanted him to, you know, kind of get established in his first full season. You know, to go to big league camp, meet everybody. You know, uh, you know, in minor league camp and stuff like that, and you know, kind of grind it out a little bit. But he also said it's an important arm in the organization, and that people know that it's an important arm, and that you know he's very talented. And I would not be surprised at all. I mean, they 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 used more of a conservative approach. I mean, you know, there was a lot of reporters last year that thought that he could help in August or September, and it never happened. They used a conservative approach with them. You know, even though, I mean, he did travel pretty fast. I mean, he went from Lowell, Greenville to Salem, you know, in a couple of months. But um, I think he'll start out in, you know, Portland this year. And I think that he can make the jump at any time. 
And, you know, we've seen Dombrowski be pretty aggressive with young pitchers in the past, you know, Andrew Miller, you know, and, and so, uh, you know, he, he drafted him early in the draft and, and had him up soon. So, you know, Dombrowski's done it before, obviously, with young young players and young pitchers. And, yeah, I, w- I would expect him to be up uh, this year, if, if, especially if they need the help. But also, I don't think it will be, you know, it might not be as, cl- as the closer. I mean, it might just be as a setup. Right, because... They're going to need a setup man because if they have Matt Barnes and Ryan Brazier closing out games and switching off closing out games, they're not going to be available every night to be those setup guys to get to the ninth inning. So they're going to need other guys to step up like um, Keith Hembry maybe, um, Stephen Wright, and then like you said, Durbin Feltman could come up and maybe take over that role as a setup man to get to Barnes and Brazier. Yeah, there's also, uh, you know, some other interesting names that are in the mix there, you know, Pawtucket. I mean, you know, you, they added Travis Lakins to the 40-man roster. Uh, Darwinson Hernandez is, um, you know, is an extremely, you know, popular guy here in camp that, that Alex Cora really likes. He was actually amazed at the spin rate on his curveball or his breaking ball the other day. Um, he didn't know he had that good of a spin rate. So um, he's going to start the year probably at Portland as a starting pitcher. However, it was, it was interesting that um, Cora said the other day that um, Hernandez and Lakins were both candidates. They both, they, the Red Sox considered bringing both of them up towards the end of last year in the bullpen. They never did, but both of them were candidates. So the Red Sox would move Hernandez to the, to the, to a reliever uh, role if needed. So they definitely have some interesting arms, you know, beyond just Feltman and the minors. Another one is Mike Schworn, who, uh, you know, is going to be a starting pitcher at Pawtucket, but, you know, he, he was a reliever in the Arizona fall league and, you know, he, he's somebody that could, could do either thing if they need it. Yeah. Two guys, I think that also could make an impact potentially, Colton Brewer, um, who we acquired this offseason, I'm very interested to see what he can do. Um, he hasn't gotten much time in the major leagues, but Cora said that stuff-wise, he's up there with Matt Barnes and Ryan Brazier. So potentially, he could be um, an option as a setup role in the bullpen if everything goes right with him. Yeah, it's uh, you know it's interesting. I was talking to him, and, and you know, Dombrowski mentioned at the winter meetings that they tried to trade for him last season. And I was talking to him, you know, in the clubhouse a, a few days ago or, or last week. I don't know. These days run together, so I don't know when it was. But uh, anyway, he was saying that he actually almost signed with the Red Sox last offseason when he signed with the Padres. And he signed a major league deal with the Padres. Red Sox were offering him a minor league deal. And so there's been this interest. And, you know, Brian Bannister, who's the, you know, analytics guru pitching, you know, assistant pitching coach but you know pitching vice president of pitching uh whatever and i can say his title right now i forget what his title is but you know he's he's worked with a lot of guys and, and gotten a lot of guys better i mean this is the guy that you know taught rich hill his curveball you know and, and revamped his career and you know he they they love the spin rate with uh colton brewer on, on a couple of his pitches and um you know and in so they, they, the advanced metrics they really like with him and uh, the advanced data. So, yeah, he's definitely somebody that, that they like, and he also has two options. So they can bring him down for, bring him back and forth from Pawtucket to, to Boston as many times as they want this year. Yeah, um, and one other guy who I find interesting as someone who could potentially help the bullpen, Carson Smith. 
who um, had that injury last year and then wasn't able to pitch for the majority of the year. And then I believe the Red Sox put him on waivers and got rid of him, but then eventually re-signed him to a minor league deal. If he can work his way up from AAA and pitch like he did before we acquired him back in Seattle, he could he could be another guy who can uh, step up and be in a setup role for the Red Sox. Yeah, um, he's not a full go yet in spring training, so I think it's going to be a ways a little bit down the line before he could contribute with the Red Sox. Uh, one person to, to watch, I don't know if he has uh, he has options, um, an, an opt-out clause uh, at the end of spring training is, is Zach Putman, who um, you know was with the, the White Sox for, for a number of years and was a very good reliever with them, and he had Tommy John surgery a year or two back, and uh, or a year and a half ago, and and um, you know he he's back and he's pitching, he's full go of this spring training, so that's another one uh, of the non-roster invitees like like a Carson Smith or you know some of those guys. So um, yeah, Carson Smith could definitely help out this team, you know, later in the year, uh, but he's got to get healthy and and Zach Putman's definitely a guy to keep an eye on this spring. Yeah, um, the Red Sox actually really put themselves in a good position um, aside from re-signing Kimbrell or getting some kind of elite major league reliever, but they put themselves in a good position by signing all these guys to minor league deals because now they have all these guys with all sorts of different uh, major league experiences, all different ages, and all of them have pretty good potential to actually have breakout seasons, they could be like the next Ryan Brazier and help the bullpen in that way. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, they, they, um, they definitely have quite a few guys that are interesting. Um, you know, and I'm trying to think of the, the kid's name that, that, um, the core mentioned today. I'll look it up in one second, but yeah. Um, you know, definitely they have the potential to get a Ryan Brazier out of this group. Now that's what they're looking for. Um, you know, we, we've heard it from, from Cora that, you know, maybe somebody can step up as, as the next Ryan Brazier of, of this, you know, of the 2019 season. And, you know, his feeling, you know, I think is, is Colton Brewer could be that guy. Um, you know, it's just tapping into the potential, really. It, you know, Colton Brewer's always had the potential. He was a fourth round, you know, draft pick for the Pirates. It's just, uh, you know, that, that potential coming through. Here's the name I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that um, so they signed uh, Brian Ellington, yeah. who's in minor league camp, and he might be uh, he he actually might be in the game tomorrow against Northeastern, I think. Uh, so he's throwing 100 miles per hour, uh, and he's throwing some high BPs, you know, minor league camp. So he's another guy to look out for. So uh, yeah, so I mean they've got and then they've got the the, the Mets guy that. <laughs> You know that uh, yeah. the former Mets closer. So yeah, there's yeah. So there's definitely some guys that that are interesting. Yeah. Um, going back to Colton Brewer for a second. Do you know what the plan is with him? Will he start out in the MLB? Do you think, or is he going to start out in the minors? Yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, I was actually talking to my fellow uh, beat writer Chris Cattell about this. Um, you know, at this point. It, it, it's difficult to say about a lot of these guys because, you know, it's like um, basically Coors, you know, only guaranteed a couple spots, you know, Brazier and Barnes. He really didn't guarantee Hembury. He hasn't guaranteed a spot for Hembury, you know, but he had, you know, he, he did mention his name with, with 
uh, Brazier and, and Barnes is somebody that would probably make the roster. But there's a, there's a bunch of spots open, even though most of the guys have are out of options. I mean, Hembry's out of options. Workman's out of options. So Workman has to have a good spring training, or maybe he, you know, doesn't, you know, isn't with this team anymore after spring training. You know, they can release him and, uh, you know, and, and they can DFA him and, and his, uh, you know, his contract won't count against the CBT. So, um, you know, as I was telling Cotillo, I said, you know, we, who at this point of spring training last year thought that, uh, Bobby Pointer and Marcus Walden were going to be on the opening day roster. Uh, no one did. So, I mean, injuries can happen. Certain guys can, you know, emerge and, and win spots. And if they think that Colton Brewer is, is the most capable guy of, of having, you know, the, the final spot in the bullpen, even though he has options, I'm sure they, they would give it to him. So, you know, we'll see, but uh, I wouldn't rule it. I wouldn't rule out um, him being on the major league roster. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot, lot left to decide there. Um, one guy I want to talk about potentially as a closer or late inning reliever, Stephen Wright. So the front office, Dave Dombrowski, Alice Corey, they've said that they're going to be using Stephen Wright more as a reliever rather than a starter, um, and trying to mount a ninth inning comeback against that dancing knuckleball has to be frustrating for an opposing team. So I think that Stephen Wright could potentially be a great um, option for the closing role or at least a setup role in that bullpen. What do you think about that? Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting with, with Stephen Wright. You know, I've, um, people would say that they, they don't want a, a knuckleballer in, you know, high leverage spots late in games, um, you know, because it's so unpredictable. The pitch is unpredictable, wild pitches, pass balls type thing. But, um you know, the catchers, all the catchers catch this pitch really well. You know, Blake Swihart even catches the ball, the, the, his pitch really well. And, um, <clears throat> and he's the one with probably the least experience. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think they're going to use him in high leverage situations. We saw that in September last year where they were preparing him for a postseason role where he, he'd be like a super reliever come in and, you know, high leverage situations, bridge the gap from the starting pitcher, you know, to the set of man slash closer. Um, so I don't think he will be the closer, but I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, Demoreski's already, already mentioned in January that, you know, Brazier, um, Matt Barnes, Tyler Thornburg and Wright were candidates. So I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I don't think it's a, a, you know, I don't think it's a, an absurd idea. Um, I definitely like him in a reliever role and, you know, whatever role it's been when Stephen Wright's been healthy in his Red Sox career, he's been excellent. Uh, he's really been good. I mean, he's, he's had some dominant stretches. Talked to Ari Dickey once about his knuckleball. He said his, his knuckleball is one of the best he's seen. So, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely talented and, um, I think they're using him in the right role this year as a reliever. Yeah, I agree. Um, he's a very intriguing option there in the back end of the bullpen. And I believe, I think I saw that he actually has better stats as a reliever than a starter anyways. Yeah, right here, he has a career 2.99 ERA in 31 relief appearances and a 4 ERA in 44 starts. So. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's less opportunity for the bad inning too when, you know, with the knuckleball when here. Uh, so, like, you know, I mean, like, you know, you look at... Um, you know, so like that start that he had, 
last year. I mean, his ERA was in the, you know, was below like one last year until that final start that, you know, he got crushed because, you know, his knee was acting up and everything and as a starter. But yeah, I mean, he's been pretty good in any role, but yeah, I think he can be, he, def- he definitely has had a lot of success as a reliever. So it should definitely be interesting to, to see what he can do. And I think that people don't realize how, how important, how, you know, important or how good he can be, you know, to this bullpen. Yeah. Um, now shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about the contract extension rumors with um, Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts. So I've seen that there's been um, some buzz that Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts have both been in discussions with the Red Sox front office about possible contract extensions. How likely do you think it is that we'll see contract extensions for one or both of those guys? I think Chris Sale might, they might come to a contract extension with him before spring training. Uh, you know, the, John Henry came out the other day and said they, they blew it with the John Lester contract extension talks, negotiations before, you know, opening day in 2014, during spring training 2014. So I think they'll offer Chris Sale a fair deal. And whether he takes it, I don't know. But, I mean, look at the free agent market. Would you want to go on there if, you know, you're a starting pitcher? Exactly. And look at, and look at you know, Chris Sale is coming off a, you know, an, an elbow issue. And the past two years, he's, he's tailed off in the second half. So it, you know, might be, you know, best for the Red Sox right now, too, to capitalize on, you know, signing him and, you know, maybe getting f- for a little bit of a hometown discount or a little bit less. Um you know, we'll see. I don't think it's going to be a hugely long-term deal if they if they resign um, Sale. I think it would be you know four years or something like that. I, that that would be my prediction. Uh, with with uh, with Xander Bogarts, it's going to be tough to resign him because you know I mean you're going to be looking at uh, Scott Boris's agent and he's going to be looking at the contract that Manny Machado got and you know other free agent comps and he, you know, he, he's, his clients go to the market and he's going to want Bogarts to go to the market. And, you know, Bogarts had a career year, a career year last year. And so, you know, I mean, there's obviously been situations where players have, have told Boris they want to sign an extension. Jason Veritek was one client um, that signed an extension. Um, but, I, I, it's going to be difficult with Bogarts, I think, to, to income up to a deal before the, the season starts. Um, I think there was a report out, and I think it was by uh, Evan Drolick that, you know, last month that um, that the, those talks didn't really go that far. At that, at that stage, they, they weren't going that far. So we'll see. I mean, maybe they can go a little farther now that Machado's um, established his market. Now, I'm not saying Bogarts is going to get you know, 300 million, but with Machado establishing his market, you know, we're talking about average annual value, you know, establishing, you know, the average annual salary of 30 million, you know, what, what's Bogarts in comparison to uh, Machado who's getting 30 million a year. So that, that's kind of what I mean in, in, you know, Machado establishing the market. Right. Um, And if it was just Xander Bogarts um, becoming a free agent for the Red Sox, I feel like, it would be a no-brainer for them to re-sign him. But it's not just Bogarts because, like I said, we have Sale, but we also have Mookie Betts, who's going to be a free agent soon. 
and extension with talks with him re really haven't gotten anywhere and i don't know i i doubt that they're going to get an extension with him considering he's one of the best players in the game and he's going to be looking for a lot of money there's no way he's going to sign an extension i mean the way that he talks he's going to free agency i can guarantee it and so um i mean there's just like he has no enthusiasm when we ask him questions about an extension and I know people hate to hear that, but I just I have I just have no confidence that he would sign an extension at this point. I think he's going to, you know, go out into the free agent market and he's gonna to wanna to get paid. He's not gonna take a hometown discount at all. He's gonna to wanna to get paid the most money he can. Now, you look at it, they have eighty nine million, I think, coming off the books this this year between their nine free agents, nine pending free agents, and then also including or uh, eight or nine pending pending free agents, including um, you know Pablo Sandoval's nineteen million dollar average annual salary, which that this is the final year for that. Right. They also had Henley Ramirez's you know average annual salary come off the books this year, so they do have some money that has come off the books and is coming off the books. So they can resign some of these guys, and if they fail to do do it with certain players, there's other guys that are going on the market as well in, in the next year or two. I mean, like a Lindor and stuff like that, who's very close with Cora. So, I mean, you you know, you can replace certain guys. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, one guy who's going to be a free agent who I think will be replaced in the end um, is Rick Porcello. Because with all these other guys that they want to have um, back, like Sale Bogarts, Mookie, I feel like Porcello's kind of the odd man out they can't really afford to get him back unless he wants to settle for a really low contract just to come back to Boston, but I don't think he will. But um, Yeah, he, he's not. I, I've felt like for a year now that they're not going to re-sign him. He's, I mean, I, I thought like, you know, I mean, maybe like a year or two ago, I was thinking, well, maybe they would re-sign him because of the durability he's, he's you know he pitches the most innings of your you know your guys each year and whatever he's he's durable but at this point if you've got so many guys to resign and all that you know he's the guy to let go right right so since you're down in Fort Myers I just have some questions for you about what's going on down there um first of all Rafael Devers so I've heard that he's been on some diet and he lost weight does he look better does he look more in shape yeah, he does. Um, you know, I thought he looked, uh, you know, I thought, I think he looks better. Um, you know, I, it's funny. He says that he doesn't know how much weight he lost. So that's an indicator that you don't want to say how much weight he lost because you didn't lose any weight, but he does look like he's lost weight. Um, he looks like he's in better shape. Uh, you know, so, so, you know, I would say that, um, he does look better and I, I, I would expect a big year from him. Um, I, you know, we saw it in the playoffs last year, you know, he's really a guy that, you know, he has the ability, obviously, and he came up in so many pressure situations and, and you know, hit the past two postseasons. I mean, this is a guy that hit, you know, home run in game three, I think, at Fenway, that was the go ahead home run uh, in 2006 in the 2017 playoffs against uh, the Astros. And then he hit the, you know, the inside the park home run in the ninth inning of game four. Um, he's, he's a very, you know, so he's, the potential's there. I feel like this is, this is an important year for him. You know, you look at like what Andrew Benatendi did in his second full season and it, how much his OPS went up. 
I think we need to see that with uh, with Devers this year. You know, he's finally gone through a full you know season, a full season of majors, and the OPS in everything, and uh, needs to you know really go up this year. And I think it will. You know, he he, he knows the pitches a lot better. He, you know, he knows what he needs to do, the approach, and the full season and the grind, and staying in shape for a full season. So yeah, I think it's going to be a big year for him. Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, um, I've seen all these things all over Twitter that Rafael Devers is on a mission, and I think that this is going to be the year that he really breaks out and has a great season, puts up some great power numbers, and really um, secures the starting position at third base. But I want to talk about that. How are they going to um, kind of split up playing time now that Pedroia is back playing second base? They're going to want to give Devers more time at third base. So what's what's going to um, go on with? Eduardo Nunez and Brock Holt in terms of their playing time. Well, we saw with um, you know we saw with uh, Cora last year that he likes to rest players, so that's one thing. And and you know Brock Holt can always play some outfield too, um, you know, and people can be rested that way. But you know the the plan is for Pedroia to play 120 to 125 games, and we don't even know if he's going to play that many. You know, he's got to prove that he can play first. So, um, you know, it, it should be interesting. I mean, they're going to need some, you know, obviously they're going to need 40 games at, you know, second base between those guys. The, those guys. You know, we'll, we'll see um, Eduardo Nunez against some, uh, you know, left-handed pitching occasionally at third base. We'll, you know, we'll see Brock. Uh, I think Brock Holt was at first, you know, taking some reps at first base even though that really, I mean, there's really no position there, but, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll find enough, enough, uh, you know, a bats for all these guys. We said it last year that it was going to be difficult to find a bats for all of them. And they did because, you know, Pedroia wasn't healthy. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, things happen during the year. People go on the DL. So, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see, but I'm sure everybody will get a, a pretty good, um, amount of playing time. Now, from what I hear, I haven't really seen too much of Eduardo. I've been kind of, you know, bouncing around from field to field and haven't really seen too much of Eduardo. But from what my colleague uh, Chris Cotillo tells me, he's pretty explosive. And, uh, and um, you know, I think that he's back to where he was before the knee injury. So like you said, Cora does like to rest guys. So that's it's good to have that depth of having Nunez and Holt to – um, come in in situations and maybe pinch hit or make some starts. Um, and their versatility is great too. Like obviously Holt can play all around the diamond. Nunez can play the majority of the infield. And I've seen that he's um, played some games in the outfield too. Um, but as you were talking about Pedroia, I don't think he'll be able to play more than maybe two-thirds of the season. So they're going to need to have Holt and Nunez um, ready to jump in at second base anytime that Pedroia needs a day off or needs some rest or maybe needs to come out early because the knee's bothering him. Um, so it's, it's good to have those guys as depth. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I mean, the plan is 120, 125 games, as I said, for Pedroia. But, you know, let's wait and see if that even amounts to, to you know, to happening. It could just be 100 games, you know, so... I mean, you know, we'll see what Pedroia. I mean, there isn't even a plan yet on when he's going to play in his first, uh, you know, spring training game. Right. Do you think? Do you think he'll be ready for um, opening day? 
that's you know I really don't know. I mean, I I would assume that he gets into a spring training game within the next two weeks, but I really don't know the timetable of it. I mean, Cora's been pretty quiet about it, and um, I mean, they they think he'll be ready for opening day. He's a full go and everything, and you know he feels good. And there hasn't been any complaints of soreness because we would probably be told this and we haven't been told this. And we just asked Pedroia questions today and there was questions asked to Cora about Pedroia. So, I mean, he's doing well, he's feeling good. Um, but, you know, I mean, they're trying to push it aggressively too. you know, be careful, but also push it a little bit aggressively because that's what's going to have to happen during the season, you know, and, and you can't just go out there and then end up on the DL. You have to see if he's prepared for the season. So, they're going to be a little aggressive too during spring training, even though they know they need to be, you know, cautious too. Yeah, um, the good thing about having Alex Cora as the manager too is he's played with Pedroia and he knows Pedroia, so he knows that Pedroia wants to play every game and he knows that he can't let him play every game. So it's good to have that kind of connection between the manager and Pedroia, um, unlike we had with maybe John Farrell in the past. Yeah, I think that Pedroia is a different guy right now. I think that. Um, He's accepted the fact that he can't play every game. Uh, I think he's accepted that this knee injury is, you know, is something that um, is going to limit him to 120 or 125, and that that's just going to have to be what the plan is. And you know, he's talked about how, you know, he can't go diving all out for balls at points and stuff like that. And um, you know, I think that I, I, I think that a lot of people make it. That you know, and, and I'm not saying you do. You're not. You're not right now. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that a lot of people make it like Pedroia re- will refuse to you know sit, and I don't think that's the case. I think he's he's pretty much accepted whatever needs to be done to play, and if it needs to be done to play to sit off 40 games this year, he'll do that. I think he's accepted that reality. Yeah, that's a good point. I've heard. Um, from many different places, that he's a lot more mellow now coming into spring training, and like you said, he knows that he can't play every game, so it's definitely a different Dustin Pedroia. Um, one thing I really want to know, get your insight on, is do you have any idea why David Price changed his number from 24 to 10? I know every Red Sox fan out there has been wondering that. No, actually, I haven't really talked too much to Price this uh, the spring training, and I wasn't actually at the... I was upstairs during his... Um, during his press conference when he talked to the media, I was in the press box doing writing up another story and my fellow beat writer was there. So uh, I haven't, like, I know that what he told the reporters, I have to guess themselves. Right. One of, I think the best guesses is that, you know, he calls his son X because his son's Xavier. Right. And so that, you know, that's 10, X is 10. But um, that could be, you know, that that's probably the best guess uh, that anyone has. I've heard so that that would probably be it yeah uh, we may never find out with price uh, who knows? <laughs> um we do have That's some yes yeah we do have some questions from the listeners if you don't mind answering a few yeah go ahead um so this first one comes in from jonathan um he asks which of the three catchers do you think will get traded i think leon um and a lot of people make a lot of catcher ERA. Well, you know what? He was 
know, catching Chris Sale and, you know, he was catching David Price and Rick Purcell, whereas opposed to, you know, when, when Blake Swire was catching last year, he was catching Brian Johnson, Hector Velasquez. So obviously, you know, Sidney Leone is going to have a good catcher's ERA. Um, you know, catcher's ERA is, you know, not as important, I think, as, as some people make it out to be. I mean, look at if, if Blake Swihart's going to catch um, David Price against the Yankees, David Price historically doesn't pitch well against the Yankees. So it's not David, it's not Blake Swihart's fault if David Price doesn't pitch well that day. Um, so I think that, you know, it's, it's a very um, not as important, not as important status people make it out to be. Um, he has been working on his offense, different leg kick type thing with, uh, with Leon, but, um, you know, average annual value, they do want to knock a little bit off the payroll, probably go heading into the season. So they do have some room to add to the bullpen in other areas if they need to, and also stay under the $246 million luxury tax or the third threshold. So, um, you know, Sandy Leone is at, I think like, you know, two point something million and Vasquez is like three point something million, but I think they like Vasquez more. Uh, you know, the, you're not going to get a ton for any, you know, you're not really going to get anything if for any of the three catchers if you make a trade and uh, they like Vasquez more. I mean, he caught 10 of the 14, he started 10 of the 14, you know, world series games last year. So they obviously, they obviously think pretty high of Vasquez, even though he didn't have a great season last year. When he came back from the DL, did, would anybody have thought that he would have caught 10 of the 14 postseason games? No, I, didn't, I wouldn't have, but he ended up doing it. So I, I would say that they traded Leon. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think Sandy Leon is the guy that stands out, and I think he is the guy that gets traded. Um, as you said, they definitely like Christian Vasquez. They signed him to the extension. Um, they always talk about how great his defense is. And Blake Swihart. I still think that he has potential to end up being um, a plus offensive catcher. He just needs the playing time that he hasn't really gotten yet. He needs that mm -hmm. playing time to improve and develop. Um, but I think that he still has the potential to be good. Yeah, I've always been a big Blake Swihart supporter. And, um, you know, it's difficult when you, you know, sit for as many games as he did last year and develop as a catcher. And, you know, even develop as a hitter. I mean, last year he was, you know, for the first 30, 40 games of the season, he had only made like, you know, three or four or five starts. And most of them are against, you know, the top pitchers in the game. So, you know, they were while other guys rested. Um, so, yes, I think that. You know, he still has that ability, and, you know, uh, you look at a guy like Jason Veritek, who never um, was Jason Veritek until he was 27 years old, and Blake Swihart, I believe, is 27 years old, so it's a big year for Blake Swihart. <laughs> yeah, um, the next question comes in from Michael. Do you think Benintendi will have a big year and become an all-star this season for the first time? Yeah, I mean, he was on the all-star um, fan last year yeah the final vote continue. yeah i think he'll continue um you know doing what he he does i mean he's a um i think he's improved a lot uh, defensively um i think that the one thing with him is his base running that he needs to improve but you know i think his overall game last year is pretty good 
Um, you know, his, his overall offensive game was, was really good. And, um, you know, with him, it's just staying consistent throughout the entire year. And I think that, you know, talking to him for a full season, you know, I mean, you look at that first year, first full season they had, I think it was 2017. Every other month he, he had a bad month and every other month he had a good month, that means. And so last year he was able to, you know, put those slumps, you know, narrow those slumps. And I think that, you know, he'll, he'll narrow them even more this year. Um, you know, and so I think, yeah, he'll mature as a hitter and, and become better. And, um, yeah, so I think that he's definitely an all-star uh, candidate heading into this year. Yeah, um, one of my bold predictions for this season, not really, not really that bold, I was told, but um, it's that Benintendi will have a breakout year, bat over 300, hit a bunch of homers, and become an all-star for the first time. So, yeah, I, I think he'll be, be an all-star this year. Um, next question from Nick. What do you think about the 2019 Yankees? They're good. Um, I heard they're the betting odds has them to win the World Series or something, or win the AL East. That was the big thing today from uh, my friend from WBZ, Johnny Miller, was saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I think they're obviously a good team. Their bullpen stacked, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and so. Um, you know, we'll see with them. Um, you know, their bullpen stacked. Their starting rotation. You know, you know, obviously they got James Paxton, but you know, we'll see if their their starting rotation is strong enough. That was their downfall last year in the postseason. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously they, their lineup is is uh, crazy. So you know, this is a team that can win a hundred games again. I think both the Red Sox and the Yankees will win 100 games, and you know it could be either one that will win the AL East. I I have no idea. I, I think they're both that talented. Either one could win it. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch. It's definitely going to be close throughout the whole entire year. I hope it ends up coming down to um, like even the final game of the season, where we're like one game up, one game down. That will be very interesting. Um, as I've been saying a lot, the Yankees to a degree, underperformed last year, and they still got 100 wins. So I think with all the additions they've made, um, like you mentioned, Paxton, Ottavino, LeMahieu, I think that they're going to have an even better this year, better year this year. And um, another one of my bold predictions was actually that the Yankees would beat out the Red Sox for the division, but the Red Sox would beat them in the postseason. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, either, either, you know, either way. It could go either way. I really, I really do think that. Yeah, definitely. So that's all the questions we got. Um, thanks so much for coming on, Chris. I really appreciate it. Hope to have you on sometime soon again. Yeah, definitely. Anytime. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, well, enjoy it down there in uh, sunny, warm Florida and um, game tomorrow. Yeah, first game in Northeastern, so it should be fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks for coming on. I'll talk to you later. All right, thanks. And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, follow me on Instagram at RedSox underscore dugout. Next weekend, I will be down in Fort Myers at spring training. Um, but before then, I do have an interview set up with Jemai Webster, the Nesson sideline reporter. And you'll get that uh, next episode. So tune in, listen to him, and I'll see you next time.